Six Imperatives for Successful People Strategy. Hey, it's Nikki Llewellyn Gregory, and you're on Gut Plus Science, a mentoring platform for people-first leaders of all levels. Here, we talk to exceptional leaders who prioritize culture, get fired up about employee engagement, and are excited to share ideas and tools for bettering employee experience to help others. Thank you for joining us to invest in being a better leader. Now, let's get to it. Hey, it's Nikki and my friends at PeopleCap, Howard Cleveland and Meg Crosby are joining me today to share a business model that makes so much sense to me. This model provides a structure to a people strategy and highly impacts culture and employee engagement. I love systems and these are systems people. We're about to learn a lot. Howard and Meg, welcome to Gut Plus Science. I have been looking forward to this for, I don't know, months we've been planning this. I love your business models. And today we are breaking down one and highlighting another. First, let's get right to it and talk about the six imperatives for successful people strategy. You've spent years working with high growth businesses and their leadership teams and landed on the six imperatives that make the heaviest impact on success. And I want to highlight those six and then After that, we'll hone in on one that I've picked that I really want to go deep on based on some recent conversations with the show. But if you can each kind of tag team sharing the overview of the six imperatives, let's start there. Well, first of all, Nikki, thank you so much for having us. We're delighted to be here today. And the six imperatives really came to light after years of work with our clients and their high growth companies. And what we realized is that after lots of engagements, we came to realize that there was just a pattern forming that a lot of the challenges that companies were having, almost all the challenges fell into one of six buckets. And so we put together a methodology around what those six areas were that contributed to success and and growth for our clients and their companies. I think the best analogy for the six imperatives is thinking about your own health. You know, if I were to say to you, Hey, Nikki, your new year's resolution is to get healthy next year, your own personal health, you would probably come up with lots of different things to do. You wouldn't just go to the gym. You might say, I'm going to drink more water. I'm going to eat healthy. I'm going to do some cardio. I'm going to do some weightlifting. I'm going to get better sleep. So there are all these different areas that you would pursue goals in. And so the six imperatives are really like that, like the formula for developing a healthy organization. And so each of these areas requires leaders to focus on goals within those areas. And so there's not one that stands alone that can help a leader be successful. They're all intertwined and they're all equally important. And I think, Howard, you're going to take us through what they are. The six imperatives, they really serve almost as the people-related foundation of a business. And they're six pillars that help support the growth And if that foundation gets weak in any of these areas or multiple areas, then the growth will actually settle back down to what the people foundation can support. And so as we look at organizations, like Meg said, at the health of it, we look at these six areas and the ones that we found to be most impactful are to sharpen focus and a clear vision creates a common purpose. And so if the organization has a clear vision and is aligned around it, then that focus stays sharp. The second is calibrating culture. And this goes to 
the fact that you can't leave culture to chance. And as your strategy changes, your culture really has to change. And there's a great you know, story about Edgar Schein, who's sort of the father of organizational culture. And he was asked, do we have a good culture? And he said, you're asking the wrong question. The question should be, do we have an effective culture? And so is the culture we have helpful in helping us achieve our strategy? The third imperative is to strengthen leadership and make sure that that foundation is strong enough to support the growth because you can't outscale the effectiveness of your leadership. The fourth imperative is to elevate talent because an organization can't outperform its talent. And so as you keep going from level to level, you've got to elevate your talent, your skills, your experience, your expertise to be able to function highly at that level. The fifth is to align your structure. And as the strategy changes, the structure of the organization needs to change to support that strategy. And then the sixth imperative is to amplify communication. And so as you move from one level to the next and grow, some of those hallway conversations get lost, but also the one-way communication needs to give way to multi-directional communication, getting feedback from employees, having employees talk and divisions talk among each other so things don't get siloed. And those six areas really have found those are the levers that have the most direct impact that leaders can pull and adjust to really help their growth. Awesome. Thank you for sharing those six, Howard. And I really enjoyed, Meg, your analogy of health. So thinking about our business, like our physical health, a business health or physical health, there's various components to getting and staying healthy and they're all intertwined and being able to have a system, something that we can see, it's like a dashboard is what it, where it's kind of coming to light for me right now, where I see these six things. So we're going to dive in on number four, because Elevate Talent has been a topic regularly submitted and brought up on this show. Just it's, we have leaders that are newer leaders and how do we elevate them or how do we career path people to advance them? I really want to dig into that. But before we do, I know you'll share an example in number four so that we can really break down one of these. Help us understand the process of, or the journey of working through the six. Kind of bring that to life before we go through number four, because I know that all six have different components, but just kind of the process and timeline for what it looks like to help a company move through these and then maintain health with it. Sure. So what we like to do is, engage with organizations. And we can do that in, in many different ways. But we interview folks, we spend time in the organization interviewing the leadership team, we interview as many people as they will let us interview, we'll do an employee survey, we'll host focus groups, and we'll really get a sense of how people are experiencing these six areas in the organization. And so once we collect all of that data, and that's, we call that our discovery process. And so once we go through the discovery process, then we are able to report back to leadership to say, here's what we found. This is where we found that people are experiencing some friction. Maybe they've discussed that communication is not what it should be, or perhaps there are some rumblings going on in a certain area around culture that a certain group of people or leader is not aligned with the culture or the strategy, and there's duplication of effort or you know whatever those challenges may be. And so we will then come back to the leadership team and facilitate a retreat to say, here is 
what we heard from your organization. Here are the challenges. Here are the things you guys are doing really well. And here are some of the barriers to your success. And so we then work with them to put together a 12 to 18 month roadmap that uses the six imperatives as those guideposts. And so we'll come up with objectives under each of those six imperatives so that the leadership team has a very clear strategic plan really related just to these six imperatives. Awesome. Two follow-up questions on that, and then we're going to go into number four. So you spoke about data in the discovery process. How often do you measure against the baseline? So what we'd like to do is we'd like to go in and establish that baseline first and then give the team the time, 12 to 18 months, to make changes and to level up in these areas that we describe. And then we go back in and survey again and do the focus groups again and see what progress has been made relative to the baseline. Okay, awesome. And then the other question is around how often you meet with the leadership team to do strategy. So our focus is exclusively on people strategy. So we like to meet with them quarterly after we do this initial assessment. So meeting with them quarterly to check in and and really be that accountability partner to say, okay, well, you've committed to doing these things. How's it going? What resources can we bring to bear to help you? What's working? What's not working? And just trying to help them get to achieve their goals. And that really, the quarterly meeting and the accountability really goes to keeping a sharp focus. And as we go through and look at what can be done, it's not helpful generally for an organization to take on two pages of recommendations. And so what we're looking for are what are the things that an organization can do realistically based on their current energy, current capabilities, and capacity? And what are those big things in each of the six? And it may not be that they take action on all six. They prioritize one, prioritize two, and make sure that they move the needle on those. And that's what we're trying to help them be accountable for, what what objectives they set and what the results are, but also not biting off more than they can chew and then missing the mark completely. Mm -hmm. Great. All right. So let's deep dive on number four, just because that's been a reoccurring theme on this show. And I know a lot of people are struggling with it to like really understand great best practices in this area. So elevate talent. Maybe we start with, I think everyone knows the why. It's like, yes, or all should know that we're working to elevate talent in our organization. That's a very smart thing to do. But when it comes to, you know, maybe a success story or two where you were working with an organization and here's what happened because they really enhanced their game on elevating their people, what comes to mind? Sure. Well, there's a company that we worked with recently that is a high growth company that had just taken on investment from a private equity firm. And and that investment was to catalyze growth, to help the organization scale and to be able to take on more business. They really have an incredible opportunity in front of them. They've got more revenue than they can handle and people lining up to buy their products. So it's a very exciting success story. And what we discovered was that talent was the limiting factor. And it wasn't that they couldn't find talent. It was that the people in the organization were working so hard to service clients that as talent was added, they didn't have the capacity to raise up that talent, to bring that talent up to productivity as quickly as possible. So they didn't have a system in place for finding talent, bringing them into the organization, getting them to productivity so that they could realize these revenue opportunities. And so what we worked with them 
it's interesting. There are a lot of companies that find themselves being challenged in this way. And the knee-jerk reaction is often, oh my gosh, we have to outsource everything. We need to outsource recruiting. We need to outsource hiring and we need to outsource training. And that's really the one that you hear all the time. We need to outsource training. We need to hire a training manager to train all of these employees. And the reality is that the employees need to be trained by the folks who are doing the job. Those are the best trainers. Those are the people who know how to do the work and know how to do it in the culture that they're operating in with the clients. And so it's really important that those people have the capacity to spend time developing these new employees, getting them up to speed, managing them. And so what we helped them realize was this is not something that can be outsourced. This is not something HR can do for you. They can partner with you and they can help be a laboring or, but you all as the key leaders in the company need to find the capacity to do this. And so we, in essence, the message was you've got to slow down to move faster. We've got to slow down and build this capacity in the organization, bring these new people up to speed so that you have capacity to do this. And then you can go fast because you'll have those processes in place. So one of the things that we see sometimes is that people get ahead of themselves in their their growth, but invariably they stumble and have to come back to building this really important infrastructure within the six imperatives. And I'd love it if you break down the components underneath Elevate Talent. I know each of the six areas, the six imperatives have different learning lessons or things that were focused on underneath those. Share what that looks like. Like a lot of companies, the idea of elevating talent was this nebulous, almost overwhelming task. And they didn't know where to start and they had tried various things. And as we worked with them, there are really only three things to remember about elevating talent. And if you can key in on these three things, it becomes much more digestible. And they are hire, develop, and liberate. And with those three components of Elevate Talent, it becomes more bite-sized. And so with this company, once they had that framework, they were able to focus on what they were doing for hiring, how they were developing, and what they were doing with poor performers. Great. Thank you so much for sharing that. For those listeners out there that are just really struggling in this area of Elevate Talent and they're hiring, developing, or liberating, what is really your advice on this step, where to start in this section? I think that the starting point for Elevating Talent is being very clear with the strategy because the talent gets elevated to support the strategy. And so whether or not that it doesn't necessarily flow linearly because you don't just start hiring people from where you are or developing people or liberating people, but within the hiring, once you start the hiring process, there's an adage that heard a while back, which is hire hard, manage easy, hire easy, manage hard. And with the hiring process, starting at the very beginning, making sure you know what you're looking for, what the position, what the purpose of the position is, how it relates to the strategy. And our methodology includes helping organizations build out a scorecard and not what just a job description with everything they may do, but a scorecard that actually attaches to the mission, what the purpose of the position is and what success looks like. What are the expectations for the position? 
So when somebody's looking at a candidate, they can discuss those specific measurements and metrics for success, but the candidate also has the opportunity to see what's expected of the position and can opt out or opt in depending on whether or not it's a good fit. Yeah, just to add to that, the scorecard methodology is a dynamic one. It's something that employees and managers together can collaborate and revise on an annual basis to look ahead to say, this is what success looks like this year. And then at the end of the year, how did I do? We can measure success around that and then create a scorecard for the next year. So it's really clear. It helps to provide space for those conversations to set expectations and to measure performance. I think the great thing about the scorecard is it becomes the backbone of Elevate Talent because it really applies to all three. In the beginning, if you have a good scorecard before you go out to hire someone, you can hire someone who is well-suited to the position and who's very clear on the expectations and you're setting clear expectations at the get-go. Then you use the scorecard to develop the employee, to see what roadblocks and challenges there are where they may need some skills development. Scorecard also includes role-based competencies and cultural competencies so that if an employee needs development in a certain area, that can be part of the scorecard as well. And then, of course, the scorecard can be used when someone's not meeting their goals and objectives to liberate that person and to move them perhaps to a different role in the same company where they have a scorecard that fits with their skills and abilities and that where they can add value or to move them out of the organization altogether. But it should be at that point very clear that they have not met the goals and expectations that were set out for them very clearly in the scorecard. When it comes to liberating talent, most people think of that as a awful process, bad, negative, right? There is an opportunity for that to be a very positive experience. I'd love to hear from both of you, things you've seen or experienced when it comes to liberating talent being a positive transition even if the person doesn't stay at the company, just kind of talk about the positive sides of that. My background has been in HR for many years. And uh, many years ago, I had to liberate someone, had to fire. The first person I ever had to fire actually was um, an analyst. I ran the two-year investment banking analyst program for Wall Street Investment Bank. And we never fired anybody because it was just a two-year program. So there weren't people who just couldn't make it two years. So it was just usually they hung on for a while. But one day, one of the managers came to me and said, we really have to let this guy go. He spends all his time in the corporate gym. He, he doesn't do the work. We just, we have to let him go. And I, I was horrified, and, but carried out the order and let him go. And of course, I had all these thoughts like, oh, this is ruining his career. This is just the worst possible outcome for this, this bright, young star. And several months later, I was on a plane out to the West Coast from New York and, and flipping through my favorite magazine, Vanity Fair. And I turned the page and there he was. He was in a six page spread as a male model. That's why he was in the gym, you know? Yes. But the great thing about that story and how it really helped me reframe liberating talent rather than firing people was that that was the best thing that ever happened to him. He was not meant to be an investment banking analyst. He actually ended up going to USC film school. I ran into him later. And so he found the place where he could add value and be valued. And that was not investment banking. And I think just as humans, we all deserve to find that place where we can add value and be valued. And so if it's not happening in this particular position, whether the employee realizes it or the manager realizes it, the bottom line is 
it is just best for everybody if that person can be liberated to go and find that place, that place where they can shine. And so I have really reframed that over the years. And that's why we call it um, liberate and not fire. I like that. Yes. But also you asked about how to do this in a positive way. And I think times are changing. Reed Hoffman, who is the founder of LinkedIn, uh, has a couple of books out about this, but we no longer as humans, we don't, we don't go to work for a company for 30 years like our parents did. And so instead, we're constantly developing our own toolbox, our own skill sets to, and we have our own goals and our own desires for where we want to be in our career. And so he really talks a lot about this concept of a tour of duty, where you might join an organization for three years, and you might have a really candid conversation up front with a manager to say, here's what I'm hoping to get out of this three years working with you. I'd like to learn all of these things and develop these skills. And then the manager might say, and here are all the things I want to get out of you while you're here. Here's the work I need you to do. Here's what success looks like. And then, hey, at the end of three years, let's have a conversation. Is there a path for you at this organization? Does, do we have the ability at this organization to continue to develop your skills in the way that you want for your long-term career? Or can I help you using my network and references to help you find your next gig that maybe this organization can't provide for you? So I'm having that conversation right now with a young person who has been at a place for three years, and it's a very small organization that doesn't provide the sort of career path opportunities that he will need. And I've counseled him to just the folks who work with him know that their organization can't provide all the things he wants. So let's have a candid conversation about it. Just go to them and say, I'll give you plenty of runway. I'll help hire my replacement. I'll help train my replacement. I'd love to get your help and counsel on what I should do next and and use your network and leave well. Let's figure out how to leave well, both from the management side and from the employee side. I think that's a really big paradigm shift that we're seeing, but it's super important and it, it makes a lot of sense. So much. And I think just that shift, if that come from that mindset is not happening and it's more of this negative firing, you know, whatever, just the shift of what we talked about as an example, if that is embraced inside of a company, how that morphs culture with how we treat people for their like journey, you know, it's just, it is an incredibly different thing that I think everyone listening right now should reflect on is, is do we have an empowering approach to liberating people from the day that they're hired? I really love that. And just to focus a little bit back on development and what kinds of conversations people should be having on a regular basis, it's not just about what development do people need in order to be successful at the job they're in, but it's to have a conversation with your employees on a regular basis to say, what are your long-term goals? Where do you want to be in five to 10 years? And how can I help you get there? Whether it's at this organization or another, that's the important conversation that I think managers are failing to have, but that would really open the door for these transparent conversations that would help both managers and employees avoid surprises and be able to plan in ways that are helpful and valuable to both. So I think that's it's important. And one of the things I'll also mention that you'll see that's another indicator that we're seeing this shift, this paradigm shift, is a lot of the large organizations, I know Google, but also Deloitte, other big companies have alumni networks. And so once you have worked there, you are still a part of the alumni and they still want to keep in touch with you and know that 
maybe there's an opportunity for you to come back someday, or maybe there's an opportunity for you to help other people within that network find an opportunity. So it's great to think about companies who are taking on that long-term view of we're hiring all this great talent just because they leave our company. We don't have to, they're not dead to us. We don't need to lose them forever. Let's keep them in this alumni network in case we need them or we can refer people to them. So I think that's a really positive development as well. So good. So I know we're, the time is just flying by and I still have a couple more questions and we would definitely want to learn more about you all. One more step down into Elevate Talent. I hear a lot of pain around middle manager leadership challenges. What are you seeing here and why is this such an issue across the board for so many? Well, I mean, we've all been there where, I mean, we've performed really well, where we've gotten recognition, where everything is just going well, relationships are going well, and then we get promoted. And we've got the skill set and the knowledge to do the job at the next level, but we haven't generally been taught to manage people. And organizations grow from that middle level. And so a lot of times when we go into organizations, the pain point and, and sort of the most common refrain is, it's our middle managers. Everything's going well until it gets to our middle managers. Then there's a breakdown. And as we've talked to middle managers, they're aware of that. They know, and they feel relatively helpless because they haven't had that training and development. And so with a middle, middle manager, they really are the conduit for communicating the culture, for the strategy. And I mean, the real direction of the organization. And so when they flounder, their teams flounder. And it's a, it's a period where they really need, and this gets to the development, not just developing the talent, but strengthening that leadership as well. And so if that aspect of the organization isn't strong, then it hurts the entire organization. Yep. And I would just add, several years ago, Google did a study on managers and and what it takes to manage at Google. And they were really studying employee retention as well. And they proved that the old adage, people don't quit companies, they quit managers, is actually true. And it was really interesting. They, They had the data behind it to show that people who were really strong managers didn't lose employees, but people who were weak managers lost employees. They were not retained. And everybody wanted to work for the strong managers. And so what I would say is that if you are a leader of a company, there's no bigger bang for your buck than investing in your middle management layer and helping them develop those critical people management skills. And Google has a great guideline. They've identified the 10 behaviors of their best managers. And it's a great list that is not specific to tech and it's not specific to Google. I think really anyone can use that. And they are everything from the the behavior at the top of the list is, is a good coach. And that means being able to give feedback means being able to develop employees. And so we need to teach our middle management layer, people who are individual contributors and get promoted to be good coaches. And then we also need to help them carve out the capacity to do that. We've talked a little bit about that before, but as you move up an organization and you continue to take on people management responsibility, you need to allocate a higher percentage of time to spend with your direct reports, doing things like one-on-one meetings, development conversations, communicating strategy. All of those things are very important. 
the middle management layer is also so critical because they are the communications conduit. They're sort of that filter that everything goes through. They are they are talking to the front line of the business and they are talking to the executive suite. And so a lot of messages get filtered through that. So aligning that team with the strategy really helps to ensure that the strategy and the culture and the focus is disseminated throughout the entire organization. Mm -hmm. Before we break, tell us about the growth gauntlet in like two minutes and we will link out in our show notes for more information. I know we have a lot of resources around that, but share a little bit like where did this come from and how might our listeners apply the growth gauntlet model to their situations? As we worked with organizations over the years, we found that the six imperatives stayed constant. And those were the areas, but different organizations were having different challenges within those imperatives. And so as we looked back at our data and what we were finding, we realized that the six imperatives apply differently to different growth stages. And they're really four growth stages. There's the early stage, which we call the emerge stage, and then the organization moves into an operationalized stage where they're actually becoming more consistent, building out the processes to grow, and then move into a grow stage for the third stage, and then eventually to explore and expand where they're looking outside the organization for more strategic partnerships, and opportunities. And so what the growth gauntlet does as leaders traverse that and move from one stage to the other, what we were finding is it was really overwhelming as the complexity and volatility came about. And it looked like they were, it felt like they were being challenged from all sides and it was hostile and it was hard. And there were a lot of leaders and CEOs were reporting that they kind of felt all alone and they felt lost. And so what the growth gauntlet did is it provides that roadmap to basically say, this is kind of what's coming. This is where you are. This is what you should expect and the milestones you should think about hitting so that there is a a path and more of a global view of what's ahead. Mm -hmm. And I think the growth gauntlet is about leveling up. It's about understanding where you are in the journey and what's coming next so that you can prepare to level up. And I think it also is designed to be prescriptive to tell people and to show leaders how to build that organizational scaffolding that will maintain them, sustain them as they grow. Yes. Okay. Building good business health includes dashboard, roadmap, systems, stages, models, scorecard, accountability. If these words or words like these are not in your vocabulary or your mind, PeopleCap is a great place to start a great start to have a conversation to help you really have a predictable plan and ways to measure and opportunities to understand what to do next. So I have been just so pleased to be able to spend time with you all. You have so many wonderful business models. And I think this is just the first of many times we'll be together on Got Plus Science. So thank you for being here. We're going to take a quick break here from a sponsor message today. And we'll be back on our lightning round where we'll get to learn a little bit more about the personal side of Howard and Meg. We'll be right back. If you're leading with a people-first mindset, which most likely you are because you're listening to Gut Plus Science, join People Forward Network, the largest community of humans on a shared mission to lead meaningful work. You can find us at peopleforwardnetwork.com or follow People Forward Network on LinkedIn. 
All right. We're back on Gut Plus Science with Meg Crosby and Howard Cleveland. And we're in our lightning round where just a little fun fact, Howard's like, one of the worst things in the world for me is a lightning round. So <laughs> we're pushing Howard just a little bit outside of his comfort zone, but to get you to know them just a little bit better, I thought I'd start with that. How about Howard, you start with your favorite book of all time or a favorite recent read? To Kill a Mockingbird. And as my daughter's rereading it right now, I've gotten to reread it and it continues to be a favorite. Such a good book. Meg? I'm going to go with a a recent favorite or just a profound book, The Body Keeps the Score by Bessel van der Kolk, which is a book about trauma and how it impacts our our lives and our bodies, our physical bodies. Mm, Awesome. We will be adding both of those to our ongoing book list. Thank you. And Meg, what is one thing on your vision board right now? Such a great question. So I did make a vision board a couple of years ago. And one thing that is on it is to become an elder, just to be an advisor and a mentor to help other people realize their dreams and their careers. I love that. Awesome. Howard, what do you wish you did more of five years ago? I wish I did more coaching. We have done a lot of consulting, my backgrounds in consulting, but as I've gotten into coaching in the last several years, it is the impact of it has been phenomenal. And I wish it was something that I recognized earlier and was able to serve people that way. Awesome. Thank you for that. That's awesome. Meg, how do you define joy today? That's a great question. So this week, the things that have brought me joy were snuggling up on the couch with my son and my husband, eating ice cream and watching Ted Lasso. and. My son also has a, an Oculus virtual reality headset, and he made me play Beat Saber to a Lizzo song, and it was a lot of fun. That was absolute oh, joy. That's, that's <laughs> so. so fun. Okay, real quick, favorite ice cream, and what's your son's name, and how old is he? Tom is 14, and I think my favorite ice cream is mint chocolate chip mm. or half-baked. Mm. Half-baked is pretty good. Yeah, awesome. Howard, all right, this is a big one. You ready for this lightning round question? All right. Have you ever lived out a greatest fear? And if you have, share that. I am doing it right now in this lightning round. (laughs) 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 Really, I tend to think a lot and act not a lot. I get paralyzed and the fear is something that is either it won't be perfect or it won't be right or it won't be, you know, something. And then I think the more that we've written and gotten out there and done either posts or blogs or whatever it is, that fear has really proved to be largely unfounded and at least in my head. And so that's one of those things it's besides the lightning round, just getting out there and doing what I do in a public space. And Howard, I think this is somehow how miraculously we became friends because we're on the opposite end of the spectrum where Howard's like, Nikki, you probably could have reread your email that you sent at least (laughs) once, like fix all the typos in it or whatever with activator being my my number one strength and and Clifton strengths finder. That is my flaw is like, just go, go, go. Right. And then Howard, he's got like a process for everything and a scorecard and he has double checked it. So this is where partnerships are great. So. Thank you so much, Howard, for bringing this together. It's been a joy to get to know Meg more and work with you all at PeopleCap. And like I said, I hope this is one of many, but we are we are very grateful for the time today. 
and uh, think that the six imperatives for successful people strategy are really solid. So thank you for your time. Thank you. Absolutely. This has been fantastic. And we're just glad to be here and love what Gut Plus Science is doing and how they're helping leaders. All right. Meg Howard really appreciated the time today. There were so many rich points in this. And just because of the episode today being the six imperatives for successful people strategy, I'm going to summarize our truth you can act on into those six. But I want to remind us all to think about our business health like our physical health. There are various components to getting and staying healthy and they're all intertwined. And we need to have a dashboard on all areas. It's like we go to the doctor and we check in on certain vitals, right? Or we're checking our weight and keeping in touch with that or measuring how much water we drink, whatever that may be. Now think about that and how we apply it to business, especially people strategy. And it breaks down into these six things. Number one, sharpen focus. Number two, calibrate culture. Number three, strengthen leadership. Number four, elevate talent. Number five, align your structure. And number six, amplify communication. We are going to link out to more resources on the six imperatives, the growth gauntlet, and some other resources from PeopleCap. And highly recommend that you reach out to Meg and Howard to connect. And we'll include their info in the show notes as well. We'll see you next time. We just left the world a little bit better. Now, go do something with it.